Alright, this is Ricky. And this is Brendan. And you're listening to A Gentleman's Disagreement. Get along down the road. We got a long, long way to go. Scared to live, scared to die. We ain't perfect, but we try. Get along while we can't always give love the upper hand. Alright, Brendan, today is Monday, February 15th, President's Day 2021. What are we? Uh, what are we doing this week? Well, Ricky, before we even get into the episode this week, I have some news for you and the listeners out there. What? What news? This podcast now has a sponsor. Does it? It does indeed. So this podcast is brought to you by the hardworking craftsmen at Cannon Hill Woodworking, building high handcrafted high end custom tables and desks in Boston since 2018. Ooh. So they uh, are friends of the program now, and they're going to be sponsoring the podcast uh, going forward. They, if you are interested in handmade, personalized, handcrafted furniture, um, particularly like high-end tables, uh, uh, go check them out. So it's that's Canon with two ends. You can check them out on Instagram, and we'll we'll tag them uh, in our post on this episode on Instagram, or visit them online at CanonHillWood.com. They said that they wanted to remind all listeners out there that whether you are liberal or conservative, you probably don't eat dinner on the ground. Tell them the boys from A Gentleman's Disagreement sent you. Yes, exactly. Right. So if you do check them out and decide to order anything from them or even just talk to them, uh, let, let them know that we sent you. So that, that's a, an exciting development in, the, in our, our little podcast world. But this week, the big news of this week was obviously the second impeachment trial of former President Trump. We will touch on that in next week's episode because we have reflections on it, but we decided to take this episode in a little bit of a different direction. I'm really excited for it. It's it's going to be, we recorded it Saturday uh, a couple days ago, and it's a, we did a snake draft, a presidential snake draft of Ricky and I and two of our best friends putting together our Mount Rushmore's, our Mount Rushmore's of, of presidents. Personally, it was probably the most fun I've, I've had recording an episode. I think it's, I, I think it's awesome and I, I hope people enjoy it as well. Yeah, same here. Uh, let's roll the tape. So I came up with this idea earlier this week and pitched it to Ricky. And the idea was to do a presidential draft in honor of President's Day and do essentially like a Mount Rushmore where we pick our four greatest presidents. And uh, Ricky was not enthused by my idea, as he normally is not, but he seems to have come around a little bit on it. But we are joined today by two of our best friends, two people we went to high school with. So Ricky and I are joined by Dan Gonzalez and Joe Webster. Uh, Dan, we all went to high school together. Dan then went on to Amherst College and then BU Law. He's now an attorney here in Boston. Joe went on to Vanderbilt College and is now a computer programmer here in Boston. And so they have graciously agreed to come join us here and do a presidential draft. So essentially what it's going to be is we're going to decide a draft order and do a snake draft of 16 total presidents. Each one of us is going to have four. And then we, at the end, we will decide who we think has the best four <laughs> president team. The, All right. The Rushmore. Yeah. The, yeah. Who has the best Mount yeah, Rushmore? And yeah, maybe Mount I Rushmore, think yeah. my idea is maybe we'll put this on Instagram or wherever, and people can vote, not knowing whose <laughs> team it is, and saying like, "All right, if you just had these four, who do you think has the best list of four presidents here?" So 
that's my goal. So anyway, boys, I just wanted to, before we get into the draft order and the actual draft, any preliminary thoughts, just having done some research or any thoughts at all and doing some research on the presidents? Yes, uh, I would, this is Joe. Um, I I would, uh, I found that in my research, you know, even some of the presidents that are most revered definitely have some black smears on their record or some asterisks um, to go along with their their presidencies and their administrations. Um, You know, no no presidency is perfect. Um, There are definitely accomplishments and um, if not failures, at least disappointments. Um, And it was interesting to kind of be reminded of some of the shortcomings of the presidents because we're often reminded of their best features. So that was definitely interesting. Yeah, I think if we'd done this like 20 years ago, I feel like the drafts may have come out very differently or at least, you know, how we would have felt about um, the drafts coming out differently. The history is the same, right? but definitely right. how we're talking about it these days, I think is, we're, as Joe said eloquently, we're seeing it in a, in a new light and trying to get a more full picture, I think. Yeah, well... Didn't even realize that we're doing this because of President's Day on Monday. So <laughs> <laughs> it's we're on that actually. Now it's all coming together. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is very this is perfect. Behind the scenes, thank you. A little behind the scenes. Um, Look, I need a little more enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah, so, thank you. Yeah. That that makes sense. Um, thought it was just like a random uh, presidential. It would have been a great idea no matter what. It would have been great anyways. Yeah. But um, one thing that I was kind of going through um, my draft selection, it was kind of tricky too because some of these presidents you're looking at the 10 years before the presidency I'm looking at like what they accomplished then and you're like do I take that into that's consideration a, that's a good point. and like yeah. wasn't sure if I should bring that up now whether or not if that's going to be if, if you can can you decide to like think I'm, I'm not going to name any specific president but that they had a huge five years before they were elected <laughs> you know like you got some ideas can you yeah. can you count that towards your like should that have any input on you know where they, they land in your ranking? Yeah, I don't think we um, set any parameters on this. Um, so right, there's no, there's no criteria. It's right. whatever criteria you want right. to be, and that's what I think that's what will be really interesting about how we choose individually to weigh that those sort of things. Again, not to put any names to it, but I imagine Dan, it's some of like the earlier presidents yes. that were like really prolific outside of the presidency, and then you look at their presidency, and you're like, eh, like your pre-presidency actually is far more impressive than yeah, your presidency. So th- I think that'll be really interesting. I think in looking at the board, for me, there's a clear top two, and I think the third pick is where it gets interesting. Wow. Okay. Wow. Um, okay. Well, shall we go get about setting a, uh, a draft order then? We'll see. You, didn't you have a question that we, uh, you wanted to ask, throw before this began, to see if people knew? Oh, uh... I was gonna, I was gonna throw a, a group quiz. Who can name the four presidents that are on Mount Rushmore today? I can't. Well, I have the answer right now. I'll, I'll defer this one. Well, you shouldn't have given that away, Joe. I mean, yeah, Joe, start off. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you want to start guessing? Um, well, this is as Dan thinks. Go, okay, go ahead. I'm gonna go Washington. Ding, ding, ding. I'm gonna go Lincoln. Ding, ding, ding. Jefferson? Ding, ding, ding. This is the fourth one. The fourth one's the tough one. I'm going to go Adams. So he, fourth president, was a 20th century president, whereas like everyone else was, you know, like a founding father. He was a 20th century. Okay. Give me, can I get two more guesses? 
Whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, whatever, blow your hair back. Yeah. Can I go Roosevelt? I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go Teddy. Nice job. That's there you it. go. All That's right, it. that was well done. Yeah, yeah. I hey. didn't know that it was in 1941. I, for some reason, I thought it was older than that. But That's well, it, it also started. took. Okay. It, fi- it finished long. in 41. Sorry, it finished in 41. Yeah, so it took years to to build it. Um, but yeah, I think it's. I think this is going to be really interesting. There are some. Presidents that I think are going to be high on other people's draft boards that are really not on my board at all. We also debated, and this was some of Ricky's pushback when I first threw it out there. He's like, who even knows 16 presidents? He was like, I bet, yeah, I bet I mean, most people can't name 16 presidents. So, And it was actually interesting, too, because going into it, I, like, I was like, oh, like, in my mind, I was like, that person's a great president, or he was a great president, you know? And then... First Google. I'm, and then I'm, I'm doing <laughs> some research, and I'm like, did that person really accomplish as much as I thought? Like, I maybe... He was more just like a you know peacetime president and kind of just, and then you read like you know read up on who was president before him and you know how much credit should that person get. So it was I don't know it was a good learning experience. Great. Yeah. The, the last comment uh, I'll make before we get into the draft is, so of course there are well we each have four selections for a total of sixteen presidents. So I of course made a list of sixteen uh, choices that I, I could choose from. Uh, I found that. I'd be happy with 12 of those choices. The last four, I'm, like, I, I'll choose the fourth because I have to. But um, if, you know, the other, uh, if the other 12, if my other 12 top choices are taken first, the remaining four, I mean, I'll take because I have to, but I probably won't be, be that happy with. So for as many presidents as there are, it's kind of uh, interesting how, how few you'd actually kind of, you know, <laughs> draft to join your team. So, yeah. That's a really good point. I think I I think after the second round it gets kind of dicey. Where mm. in the third round, like that's I think all of us are like oh that's not the greatest guy. But that's a, it's a really good point about how few truly great presidents we have. And maybe that should mean that we cut our current presidents a little bit more slack when we look at all of the current presidents and how like deeply unpopular it seems like so many of them are once yeah. they leave office. And it's like okay, well, this is like a really hard job. And we we've done this for several hundred years now. We only have a handful of truly great presidents. Yeah. Alright, uh, so we're going to come up with a draft order. Okay. Are you I, coming I, up? Oh, no, I, I know I was responsible for that. I thought that was... That <laughs> was should we like, do a random like generator? Yes, or like, that's yeah. exactly what I'm looking for. You right. And so this, as Dan gets that together, this is going to be a snake draft. And what that means is the person, it'll go with the fourth pick, will then make the fifth pick, and it'll go back in reverse order. So the person that has the first pick will also have the eighth pick and the ninth pick and the sixteenth pick comfortable with that pick I think he I think he belonged on there from the get-go I don't know how Roosevelt got himself on on the on Mount Rushmore uh I'm going James Madison okay I just wanted to say he started your top two PK huh (laughs) under his presidency the White House burned down (laughs) like how is he the first (laughs) overall pick he picked a fight with Great Britain and Great Britain just marched to our capital and burned down the White House (laughs) yeah we got presidents who do that Ah, <laughs> but you wouldn't pick him first overall. That's that's truly shocking to me. If I I would be thrilled if I were Dan sitting in the three spot to get one of the top two there. This is the draft already off to a great start. Wow. Okay. Again, he was eleventh on my board. Again, he wrote the Constitution. Yeah. All right. <laughs> now Ricky's all upset. <laughs> all right, Joe. 
All right, uh, my first pick shouldn't be too much of a surprise here. <laughs> I, mean, I don't I, know I now. Have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's going to go for um, George Washington. Classic. <laughs> classic. Classic um, pick. Yeah. Um, right. Father of the country. A legend. Legend. He is a legend. That's a yeah, good point. And um, let me just list a few of the reasons, though they shouldn't need to be explained. But... Um, Let's see here. So, um, you know, I had this in here. It, it was before his presidency, of course, but he was commander in chief of the Continental Army during the uh, no big deal. Uh, the American Revolution. Uh, he presided over the Consti convention, the Constitutional Convention of 1787, which established the U.S. Constitution and the federal government. Uh, he was unanimously elected as president of the United States twice. No big deal. And uh, he set president, this presidential two-term limit precedent by declining yeah. to run for a third that term. That would be his biggest Absolutely. accomplishment. Well, both not only declining to run for a third term, but also even as the the uh, commander-in-chief of the Continental Army, he, he, after, you know, the Revolutionary War was over, he chose to return to civilian life, and he gave up his... You know, the war powers that he was granted, which were quite vast. Um, and then, of course, he he, uh, he he presided over the Bill of Rights, creation of the Bill of Rights, and he kept the U.S. out of the French Revolutionary War. And, uh, you know, there's just, I mean, the list goes on and on, but, of course, those are, you know, quite some accomplishments um, and, uh, you know, fitting of the uh, first president of the United States. But he owned slaves, Joe. He did. It's one of those, uh, you know, it's one of those black marks um, that uh, I, mean, I, I alluded to I earlier. Anybody I put on this list before, eighteen hundred, uh, you know, slaves. <laughs> I, I will just add, you know, I think uh, it can be unfair to hold the people of the past to our current uh, standards. Um, you know, he shouldn't get entirely off the hook, but you know, I think. He, yeah, I mean, I think that's an interesting argument. I don't want to take this too far off the rails, but. It's not that slavery was like ubiquitous even in the 1700s. Like North America was still one of those places where slavery was proliferating, where other areas of the world had kind of given that up. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I do think I think that would be the only thing which might have knocked him down from number one, in my opinion. I do think Joe's point in you echoed this, Ricky, of him giving up his power after two terms was really important. And I think a lot of the people, as they were drafting the Constitution knew that Washington was going to be the guy. And so they almost left it up to him to figure out how the the presidency would work. And they just trusted him enough where like, hey, we don't necessarily have to write all of these powers down. They didn't even establish any cabinets. They just knew that if we put Washington in charge, he's going to do the right thing. And and he largely did. So I, I think it's it's a very solid pick at number two, Joe. He was also I'm happy with it. He was also number two on my board. Behind Abraham Lincoln, who's going to fall to Dan? Is that what's happening right now? Who knows? Uh, all right. Uh, speaking of, Dan is on the clock. All right. Um, with the <coughs> third pick of the draft, <laughs> a house divided against itself cannot stand. <laughs> Got to. So I'm going to go with that. Abe Lincoln at the number three spot. Good old, honest Abe. Uh, I, don't know, I don't think I have to go too much into it. Uh, Guy of the country through the Civil War. Um, Emancipation Proclamation, although it didn't, you know, immediately free slaves. It laid the laid the groundwork and the framework for that uh, going forward. Um, so not, not too much to add. 
One, so. one could say he allowed a civil war under his presidency, which I don't know one if, could say that. if you measure presidents by, uh, by uncivil unrest, but I mean, I got some knocks here. That's fair, and I mean his yeah. his his views on slavery, while they evolved over time, were certainly not like the progressive icon that he's kind of revisionist history painted as. I think I think there are fair knocks on him as president. Yeah, yeah, and I mean he also sort of I mean not to say what he accomplished wasn't great, obviously for this country at, at that stage in the country's development, it was it was you know really momentous, but. He was also, he kind of believed in segregation. He had a lot of other things that, as you say, yeah, under today's litmus test, you know, he wouldn't really get a passing grade. Right, but yeah. his, whether it was the Gettysburg Address or his mm. second inaugural address, uh, words that have really come to define the country, the house divided, uh, the, the classic line, Dan, that, that you referenced, but like of the people, by the people, for the people, I think a lot of people would think that those were words from the Declaration or from the yeah. Constitution. It's no Lincoln came up with them in his two-minute Gettysburg Address. Um, in his his second inaugural, where he urged like conciliation for the the South, that now that they're being brought back in and something like, like I just felt like when you and I talk about like, a moderate person that can see both sides of the issue, I think he was really the perfect person for the job at the time. Yeah. And I do want to mention this: it's just some history. In 1832, he ran for Illinois uh, State Senate and lost. In 1838, he ran for Speaker of the State Legislature and lost. In 1840, he tried to become the electoral, uh, an elector in Electoral College, lost. 1843, he ran for the House of Representatives, lost. 1854, he ran for the U.S. Senate, lost. 1856, he ran for the Vice Presidential nomination, lost. 1858, he ran for U.S. Senate again and lost. And it's really incredible. So that's a, a, a history of 26 years of losses. And he ends up becoming arguably one of our greatest presidents of all time. Like just, I think in, we know this even from his personal biography of self-educated and growing up in a log cabin and, and getting his law degree and becoming a practicing lawyer. Like beyond everything he accomplished professionally, personally, I think he's a really inspiring guy. Great. All right. So off the, off the board right now, uh, we have Madison. <laughs> Washington and Lincoln. All right. Uh, I have the fourth and fifth picks. With the fourth pick, I'm going to take Dwight Eisenhower. And I, and Ike. I like Ike. He was one of those guys that snuck up a little bit on me in doing this research where he wasn't a guy top of my head that I was like first rounder. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I was doing some research into like presidential historians and where they rank him and consistently Eisenhower kept coming up in terms of the top 10, top five, and then doing a little bit more research on him. So he is uh, the 34th president, uh, president from 1953 to 1961. So post Truman, pre-Kennedy. He is also, if we look at his pre-presidential history, he is the commander in chief of allied forces uh, in, in Europe during World War II and is incredibly successful in helping bring that war to a, a positive conclusion. Pretty much immediately after he leaves the military, he is put forth and, and bantered about in the media as a potential um, political figure, wins in 1953. And, and during that time, he oversees the end of the Korean War. It's really the start of the Cold War at the time. And so he starts uh, the policy of really containment. We see under his watch the Marshall, the Marshall Plan, which helps rejuvenate uh, the European economy and, and cement some of those ties between Europe and the United States. 
Uh, under Eisenhower, the United States becomes the richest nation in the world for the first time. Uh, he, the, the post-war like civil rights movement happens, begins to happen under his watch. Uh, and then I think something which rings very true to me still today is in his farewell address, he warns the United States of the rising military industrial complex, which has come to really dominate the last say 60 years of American foreign policy. And Eisenhower, who was a member of the military, not just a member, but the leader in many ways of the military, warning against the effects of this military industrial complex, I think is one of those things that really echoes true today. Don't have much to add to that. I have a couple <laughs> of things to actually add. Thanks, Joe. Um, so uh, he founded NASA, uh, or his administration founded NASA, as well as created DARPA, uh, which is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. Um, it is, uh, it's actually a really cool organization. It's, it's meant for the development of emerging technologies for use by the military, but many of those technologies then do... Um, like are, the internet. Then, like the internet are, uh, are made available for civilian use. So huh. there have actually been a lot of, uh, um, you know, I guess, you, a lot of technologies that have come out of DARPA that, um, that have, you know, had a significant impact on society. Last thing I'll add is um, Alaska and Hawaii were admitted as the 49th and 50th states during his presidency as well. That's pretty cool. Good research, Joe. Cool. Nice job. Nice. Okay, with the fifth overall pick, first selection of the second round, I am going to take Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt, another one of those guys, kind of legendary in his short life before uh, the presidency in terms of his rise through New York state politics. Uh, he rised to become the before he even gets into the upper echelon of politics he uh, resigns his, his post when he was working for the government to go lead what became known as the rough riders in the spanish-american war in the late 1800s very like successfully and, and really legendarily uh, and then he rises he becomes the vice president under william mckinley when McKinley is assassinated, Roosevelt rises to the presidency. He is the youngest uh, person to ever hold the presidency and comes up with the term. He was really a hands-on president, had his hands in everything, for better or for worse. He, he comes up with the term, the bully pulpit, and marked, I would say, an expansion of, of presidential activism and try to get things happen. He's known as a progressive in terms of his like the reform that he was trying to get going under under his watch he personally mediated um, a coal strike that threatened to derail the country at one point he was also someone that was in favor of expansionism of american political might particularly in the western hemisphere so for example the panama canal happens under under his watch and someone that really tried to increase america's role in the western hemisphere Obviously, this is pre-World War One and World War Two, when America was still, at that point, emerging as a power. Um, he became, like, a, really, uh, I think, a celebrity in a lot of ways after he, he's also rightly famous for all of the conservation efforts that he did in terms of establishing huge chunks of the United States as, um, like, wildlife preserves and national parks, if, if anybody's ever been to this, this moment. He's also a legendary hunter, uh, which... Like like, like, the, like the wedding crashes quote like ah how do you how do you reconcile those two things and it's like ah who, who are the people that are decimating the grubber population what's the animal they're hunting oh uh, it's like pheasants maybe no I don't know uh, look up maybe you you are right, you yeah. think of that but decimating <laughs> the grubber population uh, so anyway but Roosevelt in his hunting he goes out in quail 
The quail quail are decimated the proper population. But so in his legendary hunting that happened mostly post his presidency, he returns uh, many of those heads and and bodies to the Smithsonian National Museum. If anybody's ever been to the Smithsonian uh, Museum of National History uh, or Natural History or American History, you can see actually a lot of the animals that Roosevelt personally, whether he he hunted them or was in the party that hunted them. And uh, while you can have qualms about his big game hunting, for historical purposes, and that's why he did a lot of it, it they've, they've really held up well. So you know, he's also someone that I think became a little bit of a celebrity in his own right. After he leaves the presidency after two terms, he tries to run again with the Bull Moose Party. And I would say just one of those guys where you wouldn't necessarily expect him to be on the Mount Rushmore, but when you do some reflecting, it's, it's not shocking to me that he is. Good pick. Um, I also... Uh, really enjoyed my anti-trust law class in law school. And Haven't got there yet. Yeah, yeah. Would recommend taking that. Trust buster. Also, yes. I didn't even get to that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. just yeah. a little, little something at the end there. But um, he, I, I think the number was so during his seven during during the seven years um, during a seven year stretch during his presidency, I think he initiated lawsuits against forty three big businesses. Um, I think was like the number. Um, yeah, enforcing like the Sherman Antitrust Act, and um, just somebody who like has like an interest in kind of like monopolies, breaking up big business. Um, he was very active as a president. It, it's so. another thing that's relevant today when we think about. And well, on the one hand, the argument of capitalism: hey, these companies have grown to dominate their markets. Credit to them. But Roosevelt was a capitalist, absolutely. But he also very much believed that monopolies are anti-capitalist, mm-hmm. and so he, he's selectively bu- like busting those trusts in order to create more competition in markets, which is cool. Yeah. Exactly. All right, Dan, you're on the clock. All right. With the sixth pick in the 2020 presidential. <laughs> it's the 2021 <laughs> <laughs> Let me my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Oh. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. I'm going to go with FDR. At the number um, one, two, three, four, five, six spot. Um, I still think that's good value. Yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, I, I was actually surprised that he was still here. Um, he was one slash one A, one B on my list. Actually, wow, so. wow, he must be thrilled with how things are working. <laughs> yes, he's getting his top two picks. Um, so led the two, led the U.S. through uh, the Great Depression, World War II, uh, greatly expanded powers under the federal government um, through the the New Deal. Uh, also was a major player in the origin of the United Nations. Um, during his presidency, uh, regulatory agencies such as the SEC and uh, FDIC um, were created. Um, also, let's see. Yeah, that's pretty much it for me. So, If Ricky was going to go off the board with the first pick, I thought it was going to be with FDR. That's, I mean, I really... I mean, I thought about it. Obviously, he is kind of a progressive hero. The New Deal is something that people look back on as as sort of foundational for how we think about a lot of progressive reforms um, and how, you know, when government is doing good, this is what it can do. It can revitalize, a, 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 you know, an economy that was just completely gutted and of course, he also put in additional protections, I think, 
Medicare, Medicaid, maybe start somewhere around that time. Social mm-hmm. Security, if not, you know, different types of social safety nets. Um, I might get fact checked on that one, but the idea being that gov- that government can really act as a support for for people and doesn't just have to be a you know an overseer of um, kind of a, whatever a capitalist Darwinian type of system of survival of the fittest. It doesn't just have to be that way. Um, Certainly, you know, knocks on him would be that a lot of those New Deal programs were mm-hmm. were fairly racist in the way that they were uh, distributing government funds. It's not that everybody had access, um, but and then you know he was a three slash four term president who only got only left office when he died, and, and there are things you can sort of say about that too. Right. Fair it, fair. Yeah. Fair and after fair. him, yeah. then we passed the amendment to yeah. say that. Presidents can only have two terms. That's maybe a whole other conversation that we can have at some point. That's an interesting conversation. But he is legendarily and historically is going to be the longest serving president, the only yeah. one to have been elected yeah. four times. And yeah. that's that's certainly a credit to him. And to your point, he largely, some of this is due to World War II, but brings us out of the Great Depression and everything that Hoover failed to do in, in his presidency. Uh, he was fifth on my board, but I was never going to pick him. I do think his... Dan, you said it well. Like his, he greatly expands the power and becomes really the what's now the modern quote unquote modern president. He he's the first guy that is that person in terms of really expanding executive power. Um, his court packing stuff bothers me. So uh, I I do acknowledge that a lot of the things that he did were were beneficial for the country. I think arguably he's the most powerful figure in the world for thirteen years there, and that's not necessarily the case with all U.S. presidents. And uh, it's really he's. He oversees the rise of the United States as a superpower, and a lot of that is, you know, circumstantial. But a lot of that is credit to him as well. Yeah, yeah, and unfortunately, you can also look at like a lot of our economy's dependence. What Eisenhower talked about the military-industrial complex comes out of the fact that he sort of ramped up American production of military weapons and things. Obviously, in response to World War II. Right. I mean, you know. But it is it does have this cascading consequence that we're in this situation where we have, you know, a close to one trillion dollar defense budget right now, spending more than the next twenty seven yeah, countries. Thanks to FDR. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joe's up. Uh, all right, with uh, with my next pick, I'm gonna go with uh, Woodrow Wilson. Ooh. Oh, I like the 20th president of the United States. He served from nineteen thirteen to nineteen twenty one. Uh, he so just run run down a few of his accomplishments. Uh, so he led the United States into uh, World War One in 1917. Remind me, did we win that one? I can't remember. <laughs> 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 oh, I don't necessarily oh, know that like, we won anything. Yeah, you're damn right, we won that one, Joe. Yeah. Um, so America. <laughs> following uh, yeah, following, wow, following the uh, into the war. He, of course, played a pivotal role in negotiating the Treaty of Versailles, which was um, which codified the peace terms between uh, the victorious allies in Germany. Um, and he also was a leading architect uh, of the League of Nations, which, ironically, the United States never joined yep. um, uh, due to uh, lack of support from Congress. Um, League of Nations was the predecessor of the United Nations. Of course, yep, that was my next point. Um, additionally, he also... He, um, you don't let him speak. <laughs> He, I, have, uh, I know one thing. I didn't do any research. I gotta say. So he also provided over, um, you know, a couple of uh, 
I guess. Uh, so, um, well, the 19th Amendment, which of course you know, gave women the right to vote, um, that was signed during his administration in 1920. Um, and during his administration, there were uh, significant reforms to child labor laws. Um, and this was um, the beginning of the, the standard eight hour day um, work day that we've, we've come to known come to know. Um, it started for world work for rail wor railroad workers, but of course expanded to uh, greater society. Um, yeah, there, there are a few others here, but um, uh, I will leave it at that. But uh, you know, of course, uh, you know, I will add one asterisk that you know, he, despite his progress, some of his pro progressive agenda, um, he you know, instituted segregation in many of uh, the government departments, which forced a lot of. Uh, African-American workers out of the government, which, uh, which, which is unfortunate, but um, I will leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good point. It just yeah. keeps coming back to, like, how do we evaluate people and our, our historical figures? I, I think what you said before, you know, holding them to a present sort of sense of morality is, is tricky, but of course, like a lot of these ideas, it's not it's not true that like people just came to realize in in the two thousands that <laughs> that racism is bad. Um, but but certainly these views were a lot more prevalent um, at that time. I will say that I feel like Wilson's been in the news a little bit in the last year or so because of exactly there's been studies that have shown that at the time there were a lot of black people working in the government, and because of some of Wilson's policies, it has had generational effects mm -hmm. on on those families and their ability to, to build wealth. And so I do think that's a really legitimate point. I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, two things. One, I think this got, gets lost a little bit because he is more famous for you know getting America into the United the World War One and helping turn the tide and win that war. But for years, he was a pacifist. Who won that? Yeah, who won that? Yeah, we dominated. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but for years, he was trying to keep America out of yeah. World War One and was really anti-interventionism, which I do think is to his credit and is something that up and really until that point the united states was anti-interventionist and while he was reluctantly in ways some ways dragged into world war one once germany kept sinking all the u.s ships like the lusitania uh he got put in and america kind of flexed on everybody and like announced himself on the world stage but like, he didn't want to be there yep. and i do say joe you brought this up but you know the league of nations was the the preamble to the united nations and it was really a terrific idea and somewhere like he was trying to build more global consensus so it wasn't world war one it was just going to be the great war uh, i think it's a good pick there yeah i mean and and teddy roosevelt was actually i think much more a proponent of, of entering world war one earlier on yeah yeah um and there was yeah i think was was he he was only elected once right because mckinley Correct. died the first time i don't know i, th I think some of that is 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 interesting too. Some of the people that we think of as as some of our better presidents weren't actually necessarily all that popular in their in their time. I think he lost after right, and then so whatever. We get back into Teddy Roosevelt yeah, yeah, here, yeah, but yeah. Uh, so Teddy Roosevelt after 1908 leaves to go do his like hunting expedition. His handpicked successor is William Taft, Taft. And, and he doesn't really like what Taft he does. Is so doing. right, he puts him in place, and then Taft is like more independent than he wanted. And Roosevelt kind of wanted like a little puppet, like a like Vladimir yeah. Putin, and like you know just like a puppet president, you know. Uh, and that doesn't work. So then he starts the Bull Moose Party. But at that point, his influence has waned, and Wilson's on the rise, and uh, Wilson gets elected. 
All right, I got back-to-back picks. I got a lot of shade for my my first pick here, so we'll we'll Wait, see. Was that, do you only have one one so president board right now? I'm one on the board. So he could have gotten Madison right here. None of us were going to pick Madison here. Yeah. That, that, that's yeah. the issue. You went, you went so no value. There, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you should see my fantasy football draft. <laughs> equally as terrible. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I know you're drafting like a punter. Perfect, so. Hey, gotta be strong in the kicking game. There are no rules against that. Fair um, well, since I have two picks here, I think my second pick will be Thomas Jefferson. Okay. Um, okay. No, no, no booze off the stage. All right. Well, <laughs> author of our Declaration of Independence. I think f- for me, that's like a that's enough. It's just you know one of the. It. I think it, as far as a historical document goes, it's it's one of the best things. Obviously, it it draws from a lot of preceding like Thomas. Payne and um, and other authors before, but it, it really does, even though it doesn't quite, you know, the times don't quite live up to the ideals in there. Um, there are, there's just so much that you can draw from that. I actually don't really know much about Jefferson's actual presidency, um, so I'm glad he got to be president so I can I can draft him here, but I'm going <laughs> mainly for the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, I think that was one of those, when, I, when we were talking before the draft, that like, that's like the president I was thinking about most when we're like, are we counting pre-president work that that person did? You know, because I think that for him, I think that makes a bigger difference than, than a lot of other presidents. Um, just one thing to add for from his presidency, um, orchestrated the uh, Louisiana Purchase. Huge. Yep. Oh, yep. So literally double, huge. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, double the size of the U.S. Uh, at a sum of less than three cents per acre. That's great value right there. Great value. Can't find that value right now. Ricky wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> <laughs> He's on my Mount Rushmore. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, it was uh, yeah, one of the biggest um, territorial gains in U.S. history. So, And along those lines, he commissions the Lewis and Clark expedition, which maps out huge portions of what were the United States and what became, later became mm-hmm. the United States that, that we didn't know previously. Um, famous as an anti-federalist, the, the counter really. It's an interesting that you have Madison and Jefferson who are uh, on very much opposite sides yeah. of things at the time, but a huge proponent of states' rights and, and separation of and limiting the power of the federal government, which he tried to do throughout his time uh, as the as the president of the United States. I do think I have this written down. He wrote his own epitaph for his grave, and it <laughs> says, "Here was buried Thomas Jefferson." author of the Declaration of Independence, of the Statute of Virginia for Religious Freedom, and the father of the University of Virginia. Wow, what a flex. Does not name the presidency. He didn't <laughs> think being U.S. president was one of the three greatest accomplishments of his life. I mean, yeah. Unreal. Yeah. What, what a life that guy leads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Imagine yeah. having... The Your three top three doesn't even include being president of the U.S. <laughs> yeah. What a flex. <laughs> Man, I'm glad you guys did some research. That's good value. Really That's good value for Jefferson, I think. What did you have him? I had him seventh. I also had him seventh. Interesting. I did not make a list. Joe, you got a board show? there? <laughs> no, I mean... Um, yeah, we can, we can continue. Joe's like, wasn't on my board. He's not even thinking on my board. He he was also we're not we don't have to get into yeah that. we're not he's also into, pretty problematic yeah he, might, he yeah. actually might be the yeah. most problematic yeah. Yeah. yeah he might be the yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's he's probably the biggest um, how can we put this lightly um, perpetrator of um, yeah practicing not what you preach yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> do what I say now yeah I yeah exactly yeah. exactly um, all right well then maybe to to uh, 
to <laughs> to to round out. You gonna be like all like I'm so excited for a know. Place, you know, like I'm like, <laughs> like, like you need a wild card. You throw um, Biden in there. He's been president for two weeks. I don't know what's gonna happen. Wouldn't like, shock me, Dan. Wouldn't shock me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my fourth pick might 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 surprise you guys. But the third one, I'm going. I'm going to take Lyndon B. Johnson. Mm-hmm. Yep. Classic. I would. Eat that. I, I, I would have been upset if you didn't take him. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's. I was. I was glad Joe went Woodrow Wilson because I thought he was going to take one of my two okay. picks, and then I don't actually have any others. <laughs> think this through, but you know the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, um, and really. I mean, it, it is tough to give him too much credit for, for a lot that went on there. Certainly his record, like Vietnam and stuff, not not exemplary. But just navigating the country through a historically difficult time. Um, and I think he did it probably as best as he could have. And some of the results, even though they're you know, still kind of being litigated, voting rights, um, still not necessarily being upheld to, to kind of the standard that's in the act. Um, still getting that kind of stuff on paper was impressive. Um, and so for me, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good with my top three right now. So, so when you say like navigating through a difficult time in, in, his, in, in history, are like you referring to like just like more domestic or like foreign or everything? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Really, like, there was no, right, like, after Martin Luther King assassination, mm-hmm. like, there was a, it was a, it was a very difficult time in, domestically, domestically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm not, it's, it's hard to tell because the history books kind of paint, like, oh, we just had some sit-ins and some bus boycotts, and then all of a sudden we got, like, civil rights, and it was, and obviously for people who who've studied it more deeply know that it's far more complicated than that and and that the story really doesn't end with the Civil Rights Act or the Voting Rights Act. But it's one of those things where change is is got to be that gradual s- struggle to get, you know, a little bit closer to to where we want to be and it was I think I mean it was momentous for yeah, sure, for sure. And then uh, I think we had touched on this earlier but I think I mean my notes say that he's his um his presidency was like um, credited for the creation of Medicare and Medicaid, so I'm not sure. Okay. If they, uh, probably no, no, I think probably overlapped right. on over a couple. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if those, um, you know, if those started on one president's desk and then kind of got you yeah. know pushed forward. Um, Should have fact checked me right then. <laughs> Lay down the hammer. So one thing for him, and then kind of one of the one of the um, I think one of the cons or not cons, but maybe one of the knocks on him is how he handled the, the Vietnam war. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Um, so th- there was just, uh, who knows if another president could have handled that better, but I think that there's a lot of criticism for how he handled it, the amount of lives that were lost, um, and whether or not he could have, you know, approached that differently. But and the lack of transparency really yeah. where he was getting reports that he knew what was happening, that this was largely an unwinnable war and, mm-hmm. That's not how what it was projected to the American public. He wasn't the only one guilty of it. Uh, I think it's, it's unfortunate, and this is where presidents, there's lots of stuff that are just out of their hands, where he was really a master of domestic policy. And he was, he was he did a lot there. And Ricky, you and Dan, you both noted, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, expansion of education and the arts and a lot of developments. He was from rural Texas and did a lot of things for rural communities in this country. Uh, and I think 
he was the Senate majority leader before he became the vice president and then the president. So he had a ton of experience in the legislature. I would say he's probably 1B to FDR's 1A of really uh, like legislating as an executive. So he, I think he that's where he was an expert. He was not prepared to handle the foreign policy, the quagmire of Vietnam as the commander of chief, and he failed miserably at it. Uh, but he did a lot of great things like the war on poverty, his great society programs, I think laid the groundwork for a lot of like really positive things in our society today. And uh, in addition to the civil rights work that he did, working with you know Dr. King and, and other people like that, uh, appointed Thurgood Marshall to the Supreme Court, which is obviously the first you know, black justice to sit in the Supreme Court, which is a really big deal. So I think he did. He accomplished a lot of what Kennedy promised. And while we, or I will probably get to Kennedy at some point, and the the how his presidency was tragically cut short. Johnson, I think, really did an excellent job following him up in an extremely turbulent decade. Good points. Good pick, Ricky. Joe, it's on you. All right, well, I'm glad I've got a little reaction here. Would you have him? Uh, He was eight for me. After uh, after Jefferson. He would have been my next pick, Ricky. Wait, wait, so... Snatched him right from So you got... Yeah, Madison... Jefferson, Jefferson, and Lyndon, Lyndon B. Johnson. B. Johnson. You, you almost got the Rushmore completed. All right. Okay, well, he'll finish the draft out in a little bit. All right. Uh, with my next pick, I'm actually going to take John F. Kennedy. The, mm. uh, the Speak of the devil. Yeah, which uh, you yeah. just mentioned a second ago, Brigham. Uh The 35th president of the United States. Uh, he was in office from 1961 until 1963, um, when he, of course, was... Um, und- Assassinated, assassinated, um, and uh, just a few of his accomplishments here. Accomplishments here, um, in no particular order. So he averted nuclear war by de-escalating the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, he signed the first nuclear weapons treaty in October of 1963. He presided over the continuation of the Apollo space program, um, and uh, the goal of the program was to land on the moon, which was successful and happened multiple times. Um, he established the Peace Corps, and he laid a lot of the groundwork for the um, the civil rights legislation that came in 1964 and 1965. Yep. So he signed a couple of executive orders, one of which uh, required government contractors to uh, take affirmative action uh, to ensure all employees were treated equally, irrespective of race, creed, color, and national origin. Uh, and another executive order would uh, ban segregation in federally funded housing. Um, so... Uh, you know, his presidency was, presidency was cut short, but he did have some major accomplishments there. And, uh, you know. It's one of the great what-ifs and yeah, tragic. Is. And I think, you know, in, in upon reflection, Joe, you, I think you hit really the high points of his presidency and perhaps accomplished more than even I had really thought. I think when I think of him, I think really of, like, the promise of, that he, he, he was, like, the figurehead of, of, like, this image of you know kind of a handsome young man and his beautiful wife and they have little kids running around and like the the camelot version and whether a lot of that was me, like media driven and, and not necessarily true when you kind of peel back some of the layers but really like an overwhelmingly popular person and again we all grew up here in boston so he's a guy that's beloved here in boston with you know the, the kennedy presidential library and just the kennedy name here in massachusetts but as a guy that really promised, that spoke really loftily, probably Obama is the only guy that I would say, you probably if you had a Mount Rushmore of just like presidents who could speak, mm-hmm. it'd be Obama, Lincoln, 
Kennedy, I think, were probably my top three choices for that. And some of his, his speeches were really uh, powerful and, and positive. And uh, like we do things not because not you know because they are hard. And yeah. like we want to go to the moon because like it's a challenging thing. And like his rhetoric in, in his inaugural address of yeah, it's not what you can do for your country, or your country. That's hanging, it's hang, literally hanging in my hallway over there. I it's. It's, it's obviously tragic how the presidency ended and I guess we'll never really know you know what could have been yeah I think it's interesting like the way like how much he accomplished I mean it was also cut short obviously but it was more just like you're saying the 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 feeling that he brought to the White House yeah. almost yeah. almost did more for the country like reading back on it like uh, like the promise and everything like that just like how that filtered down to the to, to everybody else around him um I'm not sure if like if you touch upon like kind of like the the Cuban issues with with JFK, but yep. not, um, great. <laughs> not a great start with the Bay of Pigs invasion. Uh, oh right, right, didn't go well. But um, and then also you know the Cuban Missile Crisis is, um, was a little scary there for a bit, but um, that obviously changed things with Cuba for a long time. Um, not that you have any personal stake. Yeah, you know, <laughs> um, so yeah, starting in the. Starting in 1961, um, that really kind of changed how the U.S. Um, interacted with Cuba for the next, like, 50 years, actually. Um, you know, not until recently have things, like, kind of, like, start to ease up. But I think Kennedy was one of the first people to, one of the first presidents to really um, restrict any kind of trade with them and change relations with Cuba. So, All right, Daniel. You're on, you're on the board. <clears throat> All right. I'm going to go with Dwayne. The Rock Obama Johnson. <laughs> I was like, who's he talking about? <laughs> I can go with Barack with my uh, my third third pick. Um, one so this recent... is fitting that we get Kennedy and Obama back to back. Yeah, I think exactly. Very it's funny how you, you actually kind of for, yeah, you, yeah. you forecast that a little bit yeah. for me. Um, but I guess this is one of the more like recent presidents actually that we've the, the most recent that we've that we've um, brought to the draft. So Recent president, so I'm not really sure if I have to go over too much about you know what he did, what I think he did. You should. Do. I think you should. Uh, yeah, but uh, <laughs> the short list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I figured. I figured this was a safe pick because BK definitely wasn't picking yeah. him. Um, so I just had to fight over for Barack with you know Ricky and Joe. Yeah. So um, rescue the country from the Great Recession. <clears throat> Unemployment rate from 10 percent to 4.7 percent. That's true. He did. Osama bin Laden. No more. Signed the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act um, to regulate the financial sector. Um, led multiple nations in reaching an agreement with Iran that requires the country to end its nuclear weapons program. Unfortunately. Yeah. No more. Um, in 2010, signed legislation that reduced the sentencing disparity between cracking... Crack and powder cocaine possession from 101 to 18 to 1, um, which you know uh, contributed to the largest decrease in the federal prison population um, in terms of sentencing for for that kind of drug possession. So, uh, and then I know there's probably a lot of um, mixed feelings about uh, Affordable Care Act. You gotta here. mention it. That's, so, that's, that's, yeah, um, I think that's, that's a that's, huge that's, one. You're right. Yeah, that's with but, the bullet there. That's yeah, the biggest and, accomplishment. For and, better or for worse. Well, biggest accomplishment, but some people, uh, I, I think that's much more divided in terms of how people feel about that. I think some of the things I listed, I think a lot more people are on board with that from both parties. Whereas the Affordable Care Act, I think there's like definitely like some polarizing opinions on both sides. So, Guys, anything to add there? 
No, I mean, I think a, a lot of what you were saying before with Kennedy holds true with Obama that there was a lot of promise there. Um, I mean, I think as a progressive person, as much as I was thrilled with the fact that we had the first black president, there was also kind of a lot of letdowns in in just the policy direction, especially foreign policy. Just a lot of, you know, we're going to wind down Guantanamo. That's still open. We're going to do, we're going to withdraw troops from Iraq. We still have troops. Like there, there's a lot of other things if I was going to nitpick, but I, I mean, he would have been on my Mount Rushmore yeah, like just I mean, for the simple fact yeah. that that he that he did that. And as Kelly mentioned, he's just an absolutely phenomenal order. Like you can't, you, I mean, you can't listen to. I got, I got when I was in when I was in Madison. He came to like our basketball arena at the Cole Center. I got to see him speak live there in two thousand and seven, maybe, and it was just like, I mean. Just, Never been more jacked up to vote in a presidential election, Same. I'll say that. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't go into it, but I always feel like there's just, like, a huge burden of being the first black president. Yeah. And, and to handle that, and... Yeah, and he did it. The amount of scrutiny that that would that came with that position. Um, Unbelievable. Um, and, you know, how we handled it. So I think that's... Outside of just, like, you know, like, what he accomplished, I mean, just how he handled um, that aspect, which is huge. So. Yeah. And I will say, while Obama faced, I think, a lot more, many more obstacles than someone like Kennedy did, and a lot of that was racial, uh, his his rhetoric and the feeling that he inspired in so many people is unmatched in my lifetime of really this hope and change, and yes, we can, and whether you agreed with his policies or not, and I didn't, I said repeatedly, I wished he, he believed different things, I wish he was Republican, because as a man, I think he is someone that we should hold up too in terms of his his journey uh, as an american and to the presidency and the type of the family man he is the person that he is uh, i didn't i didn't love a lot of his policies as a president but he's someone i wish we had more obamas in our country on, on both sides yeah he probably wishes you were a democrat too so yeah yeah i'm sure he's thinking a lot about me uh okay i got two picks here I'm thrilled that I can select Ronald Reagan with this with, with this pick here. Fine, take it. Um, <laughs> the last two picks here. So Ronald Reagan, president from 1981 to 1989, famously declaring that like government is the problem. He his philosophy was antithetical to Lyndon Johnson in almost every way, uh, in favor of deregulation, lower taxes. Uh, he was wildly popular. I think that was one of the things that, as like looking back on him, I know he was wildly popular and revered today in Republican circles, but when he left office, he had a 68% approval rating, which is only matched by FDR in the 20th century. So he was someone that wasn't just beloved by conservatives, but was someone that a lot of people uh, had really high affection for. Under his his term, he saw a reduction of inflation from 12.5% to 4.5%. If People are aware of this at all. The economy and was a mess in the late the late seventies under Carter, and Reagan comes in. And whatever whatever you think of Reaganomics in the nineteen eighties, things seemed to to work pretty well. The he oversaw really a, a booming economy. Again, the inflation went down, unemployment went down. People had more money in their pockets. Um, spurred a lot of what came in the nineties that Clinton oversaw. Uh, in terms of foreign policy, he saw, oversaw the end of the Cold War, famously declaring Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. Uh, the fall of the USSR in the early 90s is 
in my opinion, uh, largely attributable to a lot of Reagan's policies uh, that he that he put in place during the 1980s. And again, as someone that I don't know that we've seen anybody like him in the Republican Party since then. Federal debt ballooned under him. That's true. That's a good point, Joe. <laughs> Deficit's huge. His military spending is huge. And while there are there are reasons for his military spending, and ultimately led to a good thing. Uh, that hasn't held up particularly well. I think that's a that's a fair criticism. Yeah, I mean, I I think we've talked about this before, where I I tend to think presidents get too much credit or too much blame for the state of the economy. Like a, a lot of what we've seen just happening in the economy is cyclical for reasons that are not tied to the presidency. And a, like I I understand that there were a lot of feelings and you know whatever associations with things like reaganomics but same way that i wouldn't give bill clinton sort of like credit for everything that happened in the in the 90s i think they're very similar in a lot yeah, of ways yeah yeah okay uh so i've got right now three 20th century presidents so i'm going to go back to the 19th century for this one and i'm going to take james monroe with my Ooh, fourth and final yeah, pick yeah. Is. big monroe so, doctrine guy yeah so monroe yeah. follows uh james madison in the presidency he is president from 1817 to 1825. The two things he's most famous for are, the, it, one, the Monroe Doctrine, and two, the Missouri Compromise. The Monroe Doctrine that uh, Ricky just referenced is, he announced that it was, the United States was not going to stand for any European interventionism in the Western Hemisphere, in the newly created uh, American states, which were slowly... Uh, emancipating themselves and having their revolutions from all of the European colonies and the United States. This was a, a really important thing and defined American foreign, foreign policy for much of the 19th century of you know, Europe, which was you know, Great Britain and Spain and France, who were obviously had their tentacles all over their Americas. Monroe says, like, that's the end of it. And maybe one of the first steps into a, announcing America's presence on the world stage particularly after his predecessor got into a war in which the White House was born, burned down. Uh, the Missouri Compromise, this admitted Missouri as a slave state and drew a line that there would be no more banned slavery under like the 36th parallel, so in the north. Great compromise at the time and, and pushed off a lot of problems where you know people on both sides were happy. It's, it's in my opinion, something like we should strive for more of a coming to a consensus in the middle and coming to a compromise. He did that. Obviously, this presaged like the next 40 years of, of rancor and debate that was only going to culminate in, in the American Civil War. Uh, but before, I guess, his pre-life, he was also really active, uh, helped negotiate the Louisiana Purchase that uh, Dan referenced earlier under Thomas Jefferson. Um, he was Madison's Secretary of State. So he was someone that also had a pretty prolific pre-presidency as well. Yeah, I think that's it's interesting to think about something like the Missouri Compromise and try and I mean, like you know, part of you is like, all right, here here was a compromise. He did ban slavery, you know, above a certain, whatever the thirty eighth parallel, but he also sort of made a compromise that entrenched slavery further in the South and added another slave state. Right. So there's, you know, to to what degree. Do you give someone credit for for compromising on an issue such as that? Mm -hmm. It's a fair question. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Um, 
All right, Daniel. Who rounds pick, out right? your 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 top four? Well, it's not really your top four, but yeah. So your, my your more is Abe Lincoln. Right, well, we'll read them at the end. Yeah, just get, get into your pick. Yeah. <laughs> Fourth pick, <laughs> Mr. Bill Clinton. Damn it. Whoa, Billy okay. Boy. I passed over him. Intra- okay, go ahead. Only the third. I, I, I Clinton and Monroe back to back. <laughs> I had to make a split second decision there. So gonna just okay. address <laughs> the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room here. <laughs> The Monica Lewinsky scandal, <laughs> obviously not great. <laughs> we're just gonna we're gonna go back. We're, we're just gonna pass on. <clears throat> we're gonna pass by that. <clears throat> go to some of the things that uh, he did well during his presidency. Um, first term, um, North American Free Trade Agreement, which created a free trade zone for the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. Uh, first term also. Um, Congress enacted a deficit reduction package. So there's like 30 major bill, 30 major bills, some of which um, were targeted towards like education, crime prevention, but also some of the more noteworthy ones were the Violence Against Women's Act and the Family and Medical Leave Act. Um, in 1998, the U.S. achieved its first federal budget surplus in three decades, and then also in the final. Under a Democrat, would you believe I know. that? Yeah, the final two years of the Clinton's presidency. Um, also resulted in a budget surplus, um, and then also during his time as president, there was some normalizing of relations with Cuba. So it's funny it's, how that keeps coming up in your well, research it's, here. It's also funny that you know one of the major accomplishments you highlighted for Barack Obama, rightly so, was the the changing in the criminalization of the crack cocaine, yeah, um, and how it reduced some of those mandatory minimums mm-hmm. many of which were under Clinton and his crime bill <laughs> yeah and, uh, and 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 that's it is and you know some of these presidents their their legacies just like continue to get more complicated i think the monica lewinsky sort of scandal at the time was really largely related to he had an affair with somebody in the white house but you know the history sort of tells us that like there was there's a lot more kind of insidious stuff going on there because he's the president and this is some 20 year old intern and people are like vilifying her for being you know the subject of this and and it wasn't really didn't sound like it was the first time that uh no billy boy got a little handsy and the thing is i think one of the reasons that way it's not just because he's the president but i think he's just such a the charisma that he has is like I mean, you see it like even after his presidency too. Like, he's just kind of like just like almost like not bulletproof because obviously like that happened. But like, I feel like there's a lot of other things that happened before his presidency too. There were certain like there's like documentaries on now and certain there's, but because he's such a charismatic guy, um, that I feel like he can kind of just he's like a little tough one, you know. Like some of the just kind of just rubs off him and um, Monica Lewinsky actually, you know, took the brunt of it, like you were saying, and she was kind of like the villain there, whereas. He was in a position of power, and that wasn't the case, you know. Yeah. Um, but he uh, and, and go back to what you were saying too about like the economy and how like how much um, the president should get credit for that. Like he was like president during like, the tech boom, so that obviously had like a huge. I mean, like he had nothing to do with the the, the dot com bubble, you know. Like, but he was a president during that time, and yeah. you know he he obviously benefited from that in terms of the economy. So and that contributes to being able to run a surplus when you can just the economy's just booming. Yeah. Gonna, but I will say, and that's I do point back to that of like. Ricky, to your point of it was under a Democrat that we had our last budget surplus. Since then, we've had you know twelve years of Republican presidencies and eight years of Democratic presidency, and under each successive regime, 
feels like the deficit just goes it gets bigger and bigger. It doesn't have to be like this. It's proven that it doesn't have to be like this. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, from from my perspective, the budget surplus is not really a uh, an accomplishment. I think the government there should be a healthy amount of yeah. debt. What we're at now is. You know, you could certainly argue that that's not that's not the case, but I don't think the government needs to be striving for taking more money in than it's putting out. Yeah. But True. my own two cents. Dan rounds up the top four. All right, Joe's Kelly's done. Joe, just me and you. All right. Um, for my fourth and final pick, me go with Harry S. Truman. Hmm. He was actually uh, early on for me. Thirty third. Thirty. Uh, yeah, thirty third uh, president of the United States. He was in office uh, from 1945 to 1953, so he took office at the tail end of World War II. Um, you know, what I have at the top of my list here is you know he made the very difficult decision of dropping um, the bombs at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yeah. Um, to uh, which you know paid, played a pivotal role in Indian theater in the Pacific. Um, you know, it's definitely a controversial decision on his end. Um, there were, uh, you know, varying um, interpretations as to how much fight Japan had left, um, and you know, there are arguments that the dropping the atomic bomb was you know, excessive. But the rationale was that it it uh, it was a decisive blow and it, it saved American lives rather than you know having a fight on the mainland. Um, you know, it's still. Uh, an argument that's up for debate, but um, you know, it did end the war. Um, so, but following following the end of the war, he signed and implemented the Marshall Plan, which uh, stimulated the economic recovery in uh, the war-torn Western Europe. So, I thought this was a really good example of you know, at this point, the you know, U.S. has um, established itself as the you know, preeminent uh, world power, and they kind of used their might to, you know, of course, help rebuild Western Europe, but also to um, you know, greater increase their influence in the area. Um, so, thirteen billion was donated to help rebuild Western Europe. Um, he also is credited with the Berlin Berlin Airlift, um, which was considered one of his major foreign policy successes. And he also he also helped with the formation of the, the UN and NATO. Um, and uh, you know, for better or for worse, he created the the National Security Council, the CIA, and the National Security Agency. Um, so. Some, uh, Good summary. Yeah, you know, some some big accomplishments on uh, on his plate. Uh, I yeah, I feel like the atomic bombs for me is the reason I couldn't couldn't put him on my top four. But I I think the reasons that you outlined are are certainly valid ones. And I mean, in all fairness, it's not like some of the firebombing that we were doing in Tokyo wasn't having as devastating of an impact. But that decision really sets a course for you know sets a course for the cold war that hey here's the u.s and they're actually not afraid to use this like real weapon of mass destruction on a primarily civilian target in in another country and the argument that it saves american lives i've always felt is troubling if only because it it's like it recognizes that we're going to kill a bunch of people to save American lives, but also innocent people in, in a, just in another country. Um, well, uh, I should also add, part of the argument was also that it would save Japanese lives as right, well. Right, right, uh, because it wouldn't, the war wouldn't be prolonged. And I, and I, and I 
I don't I, I don't want to dismiss those arguments, um, but I think they're potentially a, a little bit tenuous at best. Sure. Yeah. The third guy on our list who was not originally elected to the presidency, but succeeded to the presidency upon the death of his predecessor. So, I mean, it's a it's a decision he had to make in the very first year of his presidency, a job which he in some ways signed up for as the vice president, but didn't necessarily, it's arguably maybe the biggest decision any president has ever faced. You know, I mean, the United States is still the only country in, in the history of the world to use nuclear weapons on populations. And I think that's a huge stain on us. I do agree with Joe. There are a lot of really legitimate reasons to have done it, but um, yeah, that's that's a big one. Yeah. Wrap right. it up, Rick. 16. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. I definitely did not plan this far ahead, so I'm just... I'm gonna... Guy didn't even have 16 people on the board. That was like the minimum. Let's put 16 people on the board. Yeah. I just, I you just, can't have a three-headed Mount Rushmore. I just kind of thought, you know, something would come to me in a dream. I'm going to go with Ulysses S. Grant. Okay. And he'll be the he's, fourth guy. He's 16th on my board. And I'm, and I'm, uh, yeah. I'm happy with that. Um... I mean, what can I say? He was. Uh, I, I what can I say that Google can't tell me? It's. Uh, I mean, what I know of him is is the Union General Ulysses S. Grant, who won many decisive battles in the Civil War, and that's good. <laughs> that's all I, I got. So yeah, all. I got nothing to add there. Yeah. He's on BK's list, maybe. He was on my list. Something. I don't have. Uh, Far, all right, well, me, all far right. more impressive as a military strategist than, than, than a president. <laughs> I, yeah. uh, and so if, if we were, and as we've talked about, like really factoring in like pre-presidential accomplishments, he's someone where I did have him. Like, I had him 16th. Uh, so I think this is a fair spot to take him in. His presidency was known for its corruption and like failures kind of through and through and like the scandals that happened in it. But he was elected twice. Uh, so I mean, he was incredibly popular and... Uh, the description I have in front of me is popular but somewhat hapless president, <laughs> uh, which I guess is more than you can say about some of these other people that are, that didn't quite make the cut. So, uh, there you go. No and, big, no big blunders. All right, so let's go around. Actually, before we go around and say our five, our top four, were there any ones that you guys considered or are surprised that got left off? Um, considered. I almost threw Jimmy Carter on there just to piss you wow. off. Wow. Yeah. Wasn't even... I have 23. Not even on my board. Yeah. Yeah. Him, yeah and uh, George Bush Sr. actually. I have George was, Bush Sr. Um, yeah. Reading back on his presidency actually was kind of... I mean, like, I just... I don't... Yeah, I mean, I didn't know much about it. Um, and read through it. I mean, because obviously we were like babies when he was president. Um, but and I think history is like kind of treated him well too. Whereas like a presidency that has looking back on it now that people are like looking more favorably upon. Um, but I was kind of surprised by what he accomplished during his, um, during his time. So, yeah. Sorry. Was it George Bush senior or senior? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the, so I, I had two presidents on my list that were not taken John Adams and Andrew Jackson. Um, interestingly, yeah. interestingly, um, I took a look at, um, some of the rankings by historical scholars and these two were uh, generally rated pretty highly, um, but uh, I don't know. I they didn't really resonate with me. Um, they both had their accomplishments, but you know they didn't 
they I ranked them they were very low on my list so I think people would be surprised that we just picked 16 presidents and John Adams and Andrew Jackson didn't make the cut. I, I think, arguably rightly so, obviously we all feel that way, but I think that's a bit surprising. So one guy that came up in my research that I hadn't really considered at all, James Polk, 1845 <laughs> to 1849. I kind of consider all those presidents in the middle of the 19th yeah. century, like all the one-termers, like kind of interchangeable, and they all were leading up to the Civil War, so not yeah. great. But he, at one of his campaign promises was, I'm going to run for one term. He set out all the goals that he wanted to do, and he accomplished them all in one term. And he left, <laughs> and everyone was like, "Wow, that guy was unbelievable!" So he got like he did the Oregon Purchase, so like Oregon and yeah, Washington, yeah. and also began the Mexican American War, which we won, and then took all of the California, the annexation, took yeah. California, Texas. Uh, Nevada, Texas, Arizona. Mm. So huge expansions yeah. all happened within his four years, and he's like, "I accomplished enough," and just went home. <laughs> I was like, incredible. I was like, I didn't know anything about James K. Polk, and now, now he was. I, I almost, I almost kind of wish I picked him. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a great, it's a great pitch right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's go around. Uh, Ricky, why don't we start with you as the first pick? Uh, my top four: Madison, Jefferson, Lyndon B. Johnson, and Ulysses S. Grant. I have to say, uh, that's actually a decent crew. A lot of like. Um, Pre, like, we're going like, pre, I, I, like, like, 19th century, then pre. I mean, like, not a lot of contemporary yeah. presence in there. So. And oddly, looking at my list, Lyndon B. Johnson is, like, the only person I could name something that they did while they were president. No criteria, Ricky. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> Joseph? Uh, sure. So, my list ended up being uh, Washington, Woodrow Wilson, Harry S. Truman, and JFK. Daniel? I have Abe Lincoln. FDR, Obama, and Clinton. Democratic heavyweights. <laughs> yeah. Surprising. And I have Dwight Eisenhower, Teddy Roosevelt, Ronald Reagan, and James Monroe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. nice. So this one we'll do. We'll put this up on Instagram if people are interested. You can go like leave a comment or something or which uh, which which Mount Rushmore you think is the strongest. Uh, overall, I have some statistics for us. We had one 18th century president, Washington. We had five 19th century presidents. We had seven. What if my mask gonna be right here? I don't know. Whatever. Uh, seven 20th century presidents. One 21st century president with Obama. Uh, we had one unaffiliated president, uh, which was Washington. Parties didn't exist yet. Three Democratic Republicans, which were Jefferson, Madison, Monroe. Then. Five Republicans and six Democrats. Good stats. I don't know if that math works out either, but that's what it is. All right, some interesting things. All right, uh, thank you to Dan and Joe for joining us. Um, that was a that was a pleasure, boys. It's fun. Thanks, Thanks for having us. us. All right, Brendan. So that was a uh, a fun and uh, I'll say unique Saturday evening. Um, any reflections a couple of days on? I really had a blast doing it. I really hope that people enjoy it as much as I did, as, as much as we did. It was a lot of fun and a chance to have fun, but really in an educational sort of way. There were some stats that I tried to give uh, at the end of the episode that I want to at least clean up a little bit. So in terms of the centuries that presidents came from that we drafted in the 16, there was one 18th century president Washington. There were five 19th century, nine 20th century, and one 21st century president. Reflecting on it a little, a little bit yesterday, I thought it was interesting that we drafted everyone from FDR through Lyndon Johnson. 
in a row. So we did FDR, Truman, Eisenhower, Kennedy, Johnson, which takes us from 1932 to 1968. I thought that was really interesting, just reflecting there was no other stretch in American history that we covered uh, as kind of a, a conclusively as, as that session. And I wonder how much of that is like a little bit of nostalgia of like the greatest generation and how much we just had a string of pretty excellent presidents, you know, relative to their peers. Yeah. I mean, thinking about some like a sort of a, a cyclical nature to some of these things, we were a little front loaded too with, you know, Washington, Jefferson, um, Madison in the front there. And Monroe. So we, yeah, we had four of the first five. Yeah. Yeah. And then in terms of uh, party, we had seven presidents from the Democratic Party, five presidents from the Republican Party, three from the Democratic Republican Party, and one unaffiliated. So those are just some things that I wanted to clean up because I knew I knew at the end of the episode my statistics weren't exactly right. Uh, but I thought what was interesting is after we stopped recording, the four of us kind of kicked back and as usual had some reflections. And, and Joe in particular, I thought, was really um, articulate and reflective about reconsidering presidents in their context and, and of their time. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, a classic thing that happens to us on more occasions than we'd like that some of our most insightful <laughs> thoughts and commentary happen as soon as we hit stop yeah. on the record button. Um, but, you know, trying to recapture a little bit of the magic that Joe, Joe had said, it was, you know, in, in part, thinking about how do we evaluate people in their context and in their time and sort of the morals of their time, but also really just thinking about them on the balance of everything that they achieved or in, in addition to the areas that they fell short. So obviously we talked about um, Lincoln, but even more, you know, probably closer to, to our time today, folks like Truman, or even, you know, Lyndon Johnson, who had huge wins on some of the domestic policy fronts. But, you know, you look at his record in the Vietnam War and you can and you sort of see, all right, this is an area where he really fell short. Um, do we hold up, hold these people up for their greatest accomplishments or do we hold them to their, you know, at their worst or, you know, where they where they um, did the worst? And I think uh, the history of U.S. presidents in particular, especially because of, you know, the, because of our history with slavery, I guess, for lack of a, a better term, ha has had this really complicated um, past. And it, I think just in, in reflecting about how we were taught history and how like different people are characterized as sort of the heroes and the villains um, that, that you know, we're always seeing areas in which everything was more complicated than that. Exactly. I think that's a really good point. And like reflecting up upon that is that when far too often the views of these people and of history are simplistic and even of, of common like current events or everything's like we've said repeatedly is black and white. And of course, everything is far more complicated and far more nuanced than we often want to make it. Like, like you referenced when we were growing up, it felt like the history we were taught of these heroes of the founding fathers of, of people like Lincoln or Grant or Teddy Roosevelt or FDR or whomever, we just learned about their greatest accomplishments. And we thought that these people were you know, almost perfect, godlike in some ways in the, in the things that they accomplished. 
and then you reflect on the opposite kind of of the spectrum today it feels like we are cherry picking the very worst of these people and their some of their views at the time and trying to hold up you know their words and actions in the lens of 2021 and it's like well they failed that test you know like that litmus test and that to me is too simplistic too and i think we tried as best we could in that draft to point out both the pros and cons the, the accomplishments and the failures of, of each of these presidents but i thought it was a useful exercise just for myself uh, in reflecting on these people and thinking about they you can do a lot of really great things and also have some failures and some flaws too and uh, just as joe was saying like to consider them in their whole context in and of their time is, is i think the best that we can do is, is try to uh, be a little more nuanced in how we view all of these historical figures right exactly just evaluating them on their on the totality of their presidency of their sort of contributions and not saying you know it was just the this one thing that they did well or just this one thing that they did wrong uh not not holding them accountable but also recognizing that people in general human beings are complicated yeah no that, that's really well said and, and hopefully we're able to do a little bit of that during the draft i'd be curious to hear what people think after this and how it all went down. But uh, again, I thought that was not only a really fun exercise, but I did think intellectually it was uh, stimulating and useful to really look back and reconsider some of these people um, in their totality, like you said. Yeah. All right. Well, next, right. back to the usual ground, I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, again, hopefully people uh, enjoyed this. I, I certainly did. Yeah, me too. All right, man. We'll see it.
Keep out.